Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We are going to continue on in a series that we started last week. And, and I'll get to that in just a moment, kind of rehashing, but it is right and it is good for us to begin by reading from the story of God and God's people and this letter to the church at Rome, maybe the most important letter outside of the Gospels. Um, it is a letter Paul wrote to a church. It is 16 chapters long and it is really just filled with all sorts of good stuff. And so we're going to begin by reading from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And you can simply listen along or follow on the screen as I read. So, my dear family, this is my appeal to you by the mercies of God. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. And what's more, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can work out what God's will is, what is good, acceptable, and complete. All right, friends, so as I said, we started last week a new series that we are calling Church Baggage. And I want to stop for just a moment because if you missed last week, I do want to invite you, I want to encourage you actually to go back and to watch that sermon because it kind of lays the groundwork for everything that we are going to do moving forward. And basically what I said last week was that contrary to what you might have experienced in church, right? Why does the church exist? A number of us have experienced churches existing for all the wrong reasons. And what we said last week was that here at First Baptist, but most importantly for the Capital C Church, we exist for one primary purpose, and it is connect people to Jesus Christ and to our community of faith. We exist to go out and proclaim his good news of the gospel out into the world. That is the reason for the church's existence. And if you missed that last week, go back and check it out because it is foundational for everything we are going to do. But we're going to continue on by looking at church baggage. And if you missed last week, we provided a definition for church baggage. And here's what it is. The church baggage is negative experiences that lead people to walk away from the church. Negative experiences that lead people to walk away from the church. And what I said last week is that I believe probably all of us, and if you're watching online or even if you're here in the room, all of us at one level or another have had negative experiences experiences in the context of church that has led us to question, do we want to continue going down this path? And so what I want to talk about this week is to continue to wrestle with church baggage. And, and whenever I process, because you guys know I didn't grow up in the church and the experience I did have was really kind of negative. And so I carry a lot of church baggage. But, but when I think about church baggage in recent memory for me, my mind immediately goes to one of my best friends, a guy named Greg. Greg and his wife, they are doctors in the Atlanta area and they are just wonderful human beings. They love Jesus. And they had gotten about two years ago plugged in to this really vibrant and good small 
small group. And so it was a group that met on Tuesday nights and, and they covered all sorts of different topics. And it was really a beautiful group. And Greg was telling me a story and Greg is like one of the most agreeable human beings you could ever imagine. And his wife, Katie, is one of those people that likes to poke the bear whenever a difficult issue arises, right? And I love her so much for that. And they're sitting at a Bible study that they love. It's good Bible study. And what happens is at the end of one particular study, the topic turns to Noah's Ark. Now, it has nothing to do with the Bible study, but these 10 people sitting around the room begin talking about Noah's Ark. And where was it? When was it? What was on the boat? And eventually, someone asked the age-old question, were there dinosaurs on Noah's Ark? Okay. And, and y'all, I got to tell you, this is when the conversation, according to Katie and Greg, it begins to get a little bit dicey because Greg's like, whatever, can we just talk about something else? And Katie goes, oh, let's dig into this one. And so they begin, Katie begins to say, okay, what about like baby dinosaurs? And they go, oh yeah, of course, of course. Well, what about, what about velociraptors? And they go, oh yeah, definitely. And then she goes to the magnum opus of dinosaurs. You know where I'm going with this, right? She says, are there, do you group, do you think that there were Tyrannosaurus rexes on the Noah's Ark? And y'all, there was this pregnant pause in the room. And then the leader of the group looks at Katie and he says, well, it says it. So there were in fact two. And Katie goes, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, the dimensions of an ark and the size of a T-Rex, I'm just not real sure how that's going to work out, right? And then after another moment of conversation going around the room, y'all, what happens is that the leader of this Bible study looks to Katie and he says to her, look, we just believe it. Don't ask any more questions about it because we just believe it. Now, look, let's pause for a minute, y'all, because if you think there were dinosaurs on the ark or if you don't think there were dinosaurs on the ark, can I tell you, I don't really care. I don't care. I believe God raised Jesus from the dead, so really anything is possible, okay? But really what I want to focus on this morning is not the question, but instead the response. Because the response that they gave was really telling because a question was asked, a genuine question was asked. And then over the course of conversation, we reach a moment where the response was, we just believe it. So stop asking questions. And the baggage that is ultimately behind that, I believe, is something that we really, really, really need to talk about it. Because for the people in that group, we just believe it, don't talk about it anymore, is actually a way of saying this that the opposite of faith is doubt. The opposite of faith is doubt. And we believe certain things and the best possible avenue in order to maintain those belief systems is in fact to not ask any more questions. Because if you do that, right, what I have heard is it is a slippery slope. So for so many Christians and what my friends ultimately heard manifested in a conversations about an ark and dinosaurs was that you don't want to ask too many questions because questions can lead to doubt and the opposite of faith according to so many Christians is doubt. And here's the thing that I want you to understand this morning is that if you read the Bible and if you take Jesus seriously, that sort of comment could not be further from the truth. The opposite of faith is doubt is what we have been taught. 
And, and while my friends experienced that in a conversation about dinosaurs, some of us have experienced that conversation in the midst of difficult seasons in our lives. And what we've been told are trite statements like, oh, it's just part of God's plan or just trust, okay? Don't ask too many questions because if you ask questions, it leads to doubt and doubt according to so many in the Christian church is the opposite of faith. But what I want you to hear this morning is that that isn't true. Friends, that absolutely and positively is not true because there is an opposite to faith and it, it's not doubt. If in fact you want to know what the opposite of faith is, here's what it is. The opposite of faith isn't doubt, but instead the opposite of faith, it is indifference. The opposite of faith is indifference. And here's the thing that I want to focus on for just a second before we jump in to the real heart of where we're going this morning. Is that for far too many Christians and for far too many churches in the United States of America, indifference is in fact the operative mode in which we go about our existence. Let me, let me focus on that for just a minute. Because so many churches in cultural Christianity... The goal was to get as many people in as possible. So here's what we believe. If you believe this, then you're good to go. You're on board with us. And cultural Christianity encouraged us to live in a shallow sort of faith. And when you live with a shallowness of faith, ultimately what you begin to do is that you begin to say, well, this is what the church believes. And so I believe it. And let's just not talk about it anymore. And after a season of indifference, hear me loud and clear, y'all, our faith begins to not matter anymore. And so the opposite of faith isn't doubt. But listen to me this morning, friends, because some of us are living in this headspace. The opposite of faith is indifference. The opposite of faith is indifference. And what I truly believe is that with the death of cultural Christianity, even here in the Bible Belt, right? We live in the Bible Belt, but that bad boy is loosening up very quickly, okay? And with the death of cultural Christianity, the church has an incredible opportunity. And here's what I want us to do. I want the church to re-embrace the sacred art of asking difficult questions, I want the church, this church in particular, to be the sort of space where people are welcome to bring their doubts, to bring their anxieties about what is going on in the world. Because here's the thing, when you read the Bible, when you read the, the 66 books that make up our sacred text, what you find over and over and over again Almost on every page, y'all, there are a litany of questions, a litany of doubt. And thanks be to God, when you read these questions and when you read these doubts, what you don't find is a God who tells them they're wrong for thinking. But instead, what you get is a God who walks alongside of humanity in the midst of the struggles. And so the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is indifference. And what I want you to understand is that if you have been in a church that has told you to stop asking questions, that isn't what Jesus intended. 
And if you have been in that sort of space, if you're watching online, maybe just kind of tuned in by accident, I want you to know, and I'm probably going to say this every single week in our church baggage series, but if you've experienced that sort of thing in your church, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because in fact, the way of Jesus and the way of God is a way that encourages asking the difficult questions. Because when I read throughout the Bible, one of the things that I am increasingly convinced of is this. That asking difficult questions, hear me, asking difficult questions is an essential part of living a faithful life. If you want to live in the shallow end of the pool and go with the status quo, stay there. But if you want to be the human being that God has ultimately created you to be, an essential part of that life is being okay with asking those difficult questions. And I really want to get at this through two primary avenues this morning. What are the two types of real difficult questions that I think you and I and maybe all of us are wrestling with as we go throughout our life? Because God can handle our questions. If he created the universe and everything that was, I promise you, he's big enough to handle our anxieties. And the first thing that I would want to tell you is this, that God can handle our theological questions. God can handle our theological questions. And and y'all, I could give you a thousand different examples throughout the Bible, okay? I could give you a thousand examples. But instead of doing that, what I want to do is jump to the heart. I want to jump to the heart of the Christian story, right? Because the one non-negotiable essential to being a follower of Jesus Christ is according to Paul, this guy that we're reading from this morning. He says, if you believe in your heart that Christ, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are welcome in the family. The resurrection is the central and crucial thing around which our faith revolves. And listen to me, y'all. When you read the Bible, there are examples in the Bible of people questioning even that. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, right, one of the first stories about Jesus, there's this really incredible moment where he, he defeats death. He rises on the third day, and he goes and he gets in front of the disciples and the apostles, and the story, y'all, is beautiful. In Matthew chapter 27, it says that Jesus gets in front of the disciples, and they saw him for who he was. And they fell down and worshiped him. But then in Matthew 27, do you know what else it says? But some of them doubted. Some of them, they were face to face with the crucified and resurrected Lord of all creation. And yet the first inclination of their heart was to say, yeah, I'm not sure if that's possible. To ask deep level questions about it. Yeah, I, I, I used to read. My girls are getting older now, and so uh, I'm not getting to read those awesome kid books anymore. They're getting into chapter books, which is fine. But one of my favorite kid books to read was Jesus and the 12 Dudes Who Did. You guys familiar with that? Matthew was the first to hear Jesus call. He spent his life sharing Jesus' love with all. And I could go through the whole thing, okay? Because it's this beautiful, it's, yeah, it's like the cheesiest Christian rap music. We should make a video about this, all right? But, but there is one disciple, apostle in particular, who gets a bad rap. And you know who he is? Doubting Thomas. 
And if you're not familiar with Thomas, Thomas is one of the apostles, one of the earliest followers of Jesus. And in John, which is another story of Jesus' life, he's resurrected, he's defeated death, he encounters the disciples and they worship him. But then there is Thomas who hears the news of Jesus' resurrection. And what does Thomas say? But unless I can touch him myself, I will not believe it. And Doubting Thomas is his name forevermore. And Doubting Thomas is seen as a negative portrayal of faith because he asked questions. He had doubt. And doubt for far too long has been seen as a bad thing. But if you look at what Jesus does, he shows up on the scene and he doesn't say, Thomas, how dare you doubt me? Thomas, how could you possibly think this isn't true? But instead, what Jesus does is he shows up and he says, Thomas, I know you got questions and I get it. So touch my side, feel my hands. And he doesn't berate him for asking questions, but instead, alongside of his doubt, that is where Jesus shows up. And doubt in the theological framework is not a bad thing. And it's one thing to sit around and talk about theology. And y'all, please hear me. I love to do that. If you want to come and have lunch with me or have coffee, we can talk about theology all day long. But, but there's actually a second thing that I want to talk about this morning. Because if the opposite of faith isn't doubt, and doubt can actually be a wonderful device for deepening our faith, not only can God handle our theological questions, but the thing I want us to understand this morning is that God can handle your life questions. God can handle the questions you are asking when you walk through difficult moments in your own existence. Friends, when you read through the, the Psalms, right, there are 150 of these things called Psalms. And it's the ancient prayer book of Israel. And it's not only a prayer book, but it's a song book. And in Israel, they use these 150 beautiful songs to sing their praises to God. And listen to me, y'all, about half of them. About half of those psalms, they are called psalms of lament. And when you read those psalms of lament, what you will hear over and over and over again is things like this. How long, O oh God, are you not going to answer my prayer? Crying out from moments of despair and expressing their doubt. How long, O oh God? Doubt, in, according to the Psalms, is not a bad thing, but it is an essential part of our journey throughout life. When you read the book of Job, for example, and Job is this upright man who was good, and all of the sudden, if you have not read the book of Job, friends, listen to me, go and read it for yourself, because it is compelling, and it is beautiful, and it is profound. Because Job is this man who was upright before God and he hadn't done anything wrong. And yet all of these terrible things happened to Job. And in the story, his friends come to him and they say, Job, all of this stuff happened because orthodoxy says you did something wrong. So don't question it, just accept it. And what is absolutely fascinating in the book of Job is that Job says, no, I'm not going to hold to that line because it isn't true. And I'm going to rage out and express my doubt before God, and I know that he will answer me. And friends, in the midst of this incredible book where Job is crying out before God and questioning, why has all this happened to me? 
That is where God shows up. And when you read throughout the Bible, friends, we see that asking those difficult questions, it isn't a bad thing, but it leads us into a deeper space of faith and understanding. And God can handle our theological questions. God can handle our life questions. I will never forget you guys that when I was 20 years old and my dad died, the number of people who came to me and they were trying to be helpful, but they weren't because they would come and they would say stuff like this. It's all part of God's plan. This is what, hey, God wanted another angel. And I'm like, you didn't know my dad very well. (laughs) However well-meaning that is. At the core of statements like that, friends, is this idea that, hey, don't question what happens in your life. And that isn't the biblical story. What I want you to understand this morning is that if you carry that baggage, you can drop that at the door because the true and authentic way of Jesus leads us to ask those deep level questions because in the midst of asking the questions, our lives can be transformed. Paul wrote this incredible letter to the church at Rome. It's a church that he had never been to, but it is at the heart of the Roman Empire. And there is a a dream that Paul has that one day he will get to go to Rome and be with them. And so he writes them this 16-chapter letter of encouragement and grace and goodness. And there's this one moment at the beginning of the letter, or at the beginning of what I read to you in chapter 12, verse 2, where he says, don't be, the NIV translation says, don't be conformed to the image of the age. The translation that I read to you says it like this. Don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by our present age. Don't let yourself be dictated into the shape by our present age. And friends, as I read his letter, I know he wrote this letter some 2,000 years ago, but when I read his letter in 2023, I cannot think about the culture we are currently living in. Because the one thing that I hope we can all understand, just listen to me with an open mind for just a moment. Paul says, don't be like the culture in which we live. And if I can just give you one definitive statement about the the, the day and age in which we live, here's what it is. That our culture demands unexamined conformity. Our culture demands unexamined conformity. Think for a minute about the phenomenon known as cancel culture. Essentially, what it says is, if you say something we disagree with, if you say something that we, who is the we? We can talk about that later. But if you say something we mildly find offensive, we are going to cancel you. We're essentially going to make your life absolutely miserable because you have stepped out of line with the ethos of our culture. That is a prime example of where our culture demands unexamined conformity. But it goes actually even deeper than that. And you guys know I do not wade into political waters. But please understand, when you look at the cultural situation of our politics, it is a prime example of demanding unexamined conformity. Do not ask questions. Do not express your doubts. Because if you do, you will be cast aside and you will be thrown out. Think, for example, about Tulsi Gabbard. This Democratic senator who expresses difference of opinion with those in the majority party. And what happens to her? She is removed from her committees. She is taken off the platform and she is canceled because questions are a bad thing. 
Look at Mitt Romney on the other side to be an equal opportunity offender. A man who stands up and questions what is going on in the dominant paradigm of Republican politics. And he is publicly lambasted by so many people in his party. Because in the culture in which we live, questions are a bad thing. Expressing doubt is seen as a negative. But please, please hear me out. If the church is going to be a compelling alternative to the world in which we live, we will be a space that welcomes the, dif the difficult questions. We will be a space that allows us to bring our doubts because we know that that is where God shows up the strongest. Most of y'all know that I went to Emory to go to seminary. But what most of you do not know is that there was a brief semester where I went to a different seminary, a smaller seminary located in North Carolina. And when I went to this seminary, y'all remember, I didn't grow up in church, so I have no idea where I'm supposed to be going and what I'm supposed to be doing. But I get to this seminary in the fall of 2005, and I show up at this seminary, and they say, hey, orientation's tomorrow. You got to wear a suit and tie. And I immediately thought, uh-oh, where am I at right now? And I go and I get my picture taken and I get my registration all set up. And then as I'm preparing to leave orientation, I'm handed a sheet of paper. And on the sheet of paper, what is given to me is a list of books that we are not supposed to read in a theological seminary designed to connect us to the God of all creation. I was given a list of books that I was told not to read because at the heart of that experience was this idea that questions are not welcome and the opposite of faith is doubt. But please, y'all, hear me out this morning. It is in reading the books I disagree with that I have come to some of the most fantastic experiences of God. It is in the moments where I wake up in the middle of the night and I ask God, why is this happening to me in the world that I have experienced his presence the most powerfully? Questions are not a bad thing. Doubt is okay. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by a man named Socrates, one of the great philosophers of the Western tradition. And here's what Socrates, and I think Jesus would agree with this, has to say, that the unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. And for far too long in the church, friends, what we have done is we've gone throughout our existence not asking any questions, and it has led to a shallowness of faith that quite frankly is untenable as we move into the future. And what I want us to understand is that here at the First Baptist Church, we will be people who are comfortable asking difficult questions. We will be people who take Paul seriously when he talks about the renewal of our minds, right? Because he says, don't be squeezed into the likeness of the present age, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your minds. So then you will be able to think about what is good and true and right. To have your mind renewed means to have your mind engaged. It means to think deeply. It means to wonder and express your doubts. It means, friends, in a church where we so often put our masks on and act like everything is okay, it means that we will be vulnerable. 
Because if we are going to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that means we are thinking and we are praying and we are living with a quality that says the difficult questions are welcomed here. If you only hear me say one thing this morning, here's what I want you to know. That the renewal of our minds will ultimately lead us to think deeply about the things that matter most in this world. The renewal of our minds will lead us to think deeply about the things that matter most in this world. And some of us are here this morning, and let's be quite frank. We, some of us are here and we have deep theological questions, and hey, I applaud that. I welcome that. Come to my office, and, and, and let's make some time to spend together, right? But even more than that, what I've been experiencing over the course of my six years here as the pastor of our church is that people come in to my office and they send me emails expressing doubt about what is going on in their life. And for far too many of us, we find ourselves in a situation like David, that author of the Psalms, and we are crying out, how long, O oh God? How long, O oh God, am I going to have to deal with a diagnosis that I didn't see coming? How long, oh God, am I going to have to deal with the uncertainty of this situation that I find myself living in? And, and for far too long, friends, we have just been told, hey, trust God. Hey, just, just don't think about it. Don't doubt. And what I want you to understand, friends, is that when you find yourself in these moments of life, pain, and difficulty... You can ask the difficult questions because that is where God will show up the strongest. That is where God will show up most powerfully in your life. And friends, please hear me this morning. The difficult questions, they ultimately will lead us to a deeper faith. The difficult questions will lead us to a deeper faith. And some of us are here in this room and we have been encouraged throughout our Christian walk to simply accept what comes our way. But what I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus encourages a better way. Jesus encourages us to ask him our difficult questions, to, to bring the, our dreads and our anxieties to him. Because if he has conquered death, he can conquer our doubts if he is the one who represents love, then he can restore our faith. Your doubts are welcome in this place because difficult questions will lead to a deeper faith. And today, friends, I want you to know that you can bring those to God. And so as we pray in just a moment, I want you to know that you are welcome to call out to God. Maybe not out loud, but you can call out to him and to know that he hears you and he loves you. That he's walking alongside of you in the moments where you need him most. Because that's the promise of the gospel. Your doubts are welcome with God. Let's take a few moments now, friends. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful. We're grateful for another morning where we can be here and we can celebrate you and your goodness. And so, God, right now, some of my friends, they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of my friends, God, right now here in this room are dealing with issues that they never imagined they would have to deal with. And God, the questions are heavy on their hearts. And God, help them to know that they can ask you, that they can bring their difficulties to you because you are a God who cares. And God, for some of us who are here in this room, we've been raised in a tradition where, where we've been told, just accept it. And it's damaged us, God. 
But on this morning, help us to know there is a better way forward, that there is the way of Jesus. And God, in the midst of our doubts, you are walking beside us. So may we know that this morning. May we drop our baggage at the door and embrace your way in this world. God, you are with us now. You are with us as we journey through life. So God, be with us in this moment as we continue to worship you. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.